welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is David Dodge and keep the best in the wholesale, the rest, which is his motto. And he's a killer investor from St. Louis, Missouri. And he's on the show today, dropping some real nuggets for real estate investors of all kinds. He's on fire right now doing wholesales, fix and flips, and is also a landlord himself. And he started wholesaling properties early on, but quickly realized there's a better way to do this business. And that's where the inspiration for his real estate investment strategy came from. And it's really evolved over the past decade. So, so David, welcome to the show. And how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. So David, can you give a little bit more color into your background and how you got started with real estate and how you decided to choose the path that you are focusing on now? Yeah, absolutely. I started investing in real estate about 17 years ago. And the first 10 years, I did it very passively. I was just buying about a rental a year and was paying full retail, going to get in a, a traditional, conventional 20% down, 80% leverage loan and just buying rentals. And over the last eight years, I've been full-time in this business and I've really been focused on being able to do it with little to no money. And what I mean by do it, I mean any and all things, right? So the majority of the money that we spend in our business that actually comes out of our pocket is just marketing. And we get deals that come in from there. We'll cherry pick the good ones and we'll wholesale the ones that don't really fit our buying criteria. So over the last seven, eight years, I've been full-time. I've basically been marketing for deals and buying rentals and a little fix and flip here along the way. But I love to use the Burr method because it allows me to not put down 20% like I did in the beginning, right? For that first 10-year period, it allows me to borrow money to buy the property, borrow money to fix the property, get it rented, and then go to the bank and refinance it and be in it for little to no money. The goal is zero. Right now, we're averaging about $1,200 left in the deal by using the Burr method. So after a couple months, Cash flow, your returns are infinite. You have all of your investment back. We wholesale the rest, like you said. So keep the best and use the Burr method or fix and flip and then wholesale the rest. And over the last eight years, my partner, Mike and I and our team, we've done about 750 wholesales and I'm approaching 200 Burr deals at this point. The current portfolio sits at 90 doors. So wow. we're cash flowing about 20 grand a month, give or take. Oh, wow. That's incredible. I kind of want to go back when you first started 17 years ago. You said that you started off with buying rentals, the traditional path where you're putting 20% down on every house that you bought every single year. The 20% down that you were saving up to purchase these housing from, where did that income from? And was it just normal savings to be able to buy one every single year? Because some people look at it and they're like, well, how do I save up? And how do I even buy one every single year? Yeah. Great, great, great question. And sometimes I'll talk about that in the beginning. Other times I'll wait because it's such a good point. And that's really one of the reasons why the Burr method is so powerful because it doesn't involve you doing that. So what I did in the beginning was borrow money 
from friends and family and acquaintances to get to 20%. And then I would put that down at closing and get an 80% loan. And in the beginning, I didn't have it, right? So I borrowed it from people. And then what I would do is I'd pay them back over the course of a year or two. And after I had done that about two, maybe three times, at that point, I had various jobs and various businesses that would allow me to save that. Now, let's do some math, though, because I think it'll help put this into perspective for people. The average house that I was buying 17, 18 years ago when I first started was about $150,000 property. And that's about the average price point of the house that I'm buying today, right? So it's very similar in terms of 80% loan and 20% you typically needed to buy, right? 20% of 150,000 is 30 grand. So I would have had to go borrow 30 grand or save it up in order to buy rental properties. And the ones that I'd borrow, I'd have to pay them back over the course of a couple of years. Well, in my first 10 years, I was very passively doing this. I had other jobs and businesses, and it was just kind of a way for me to build wealth and park money, right? And over the first 10 years, I had done this 12 times. So I literally got lucky twice, meaning in two of the 10 years, I was able to buy two houses in a year instead of one because I had saved enough or had the ability to borrow enough. And I'd always paid that back. I don't owe any of my investors money from that right at that point. That was also eight years ago. But now what we're doing is we're able to buy the same $150,000 house, but we borrow all the money. We even borrow a little bit more to fix it, sometimes a lot more to fix it. So right then and there, the property's in my name, right? Well, in the beginning, I was going and I was getting a bank loan to buy the property. Well, when you buy a property with the bank loan and you buy it on market from the MLS, you're typically going to be paying full retail for it. So the amount of the purchase price in congruency to the amount of what it should appraise for is typically going to be very, very similar, if not exact. If you think about it, what is an appraiser's job? Their job is to figure out what the market would pay for it. Well, if it recently sold, that's what the market paid for it, <laughs> right? So the purchase price and the appraisal are typically going to be the same with an on-market retail deal. It's impossible to get an 80% bank loan and not have 20% in it. Like it just doesn't work without it. That's math. Well, the bird method is great. So you buy it with hard money or private money. You borrow all of it. You borrow another 20 or 30 grand to fix it up too. So you got to buy properties at a discount in order to do this method. So you find discounted deals, direct to sell or typically off market. You pay cash and you borrow from a private or hard money lender. You also will borrow the rehab and then you go rehab the property. Next, you get it rented. And then here's the cool part. We're going to go into that same bank that we would have in the beginning, but this time we're not asking that bank to help us purchase a property. We've already bought it. It's already in our name. We already have debt on it and we've already rehabbed it. Oh, and we've got it leased. So now when we walk in, it's a much better offering for the bank. It's a less risky loan for them. It's a less risky deal. A, they get to piggyback off of the underwriting of the original lender. They would assume that that person did some underwriting and did due diligence to do this loan. So they're going to piggyback off of that, making it easier for you to get that loan. And then next, they're going to basically say, hey, Dave, this is great. We love loaning on properties with fresh rehabs because if you screw up and we got to take it back, it's going to be easy for us, the bank, to unload, right? Oh, and it's already rented. Great. There's no reason you can't make the payments, right? So all these things are in your favor. So now what they do is they say, hey, we're going to give you 80%. We're going to send out the appraiser. Well, guess what? If you can be all in at 70, 75, 80% even of what it appraises for, 
all in, and the bank lends 80% of what it appraises for, the purchase price is irrelevant. So the Burr method allows us to use the equity that we capture at the purchase, as well as any forced appreciation from the rehab as our skin in the game. So if you don't have access to go borrow 30 grand from one of your friends or your relatives, or you can't save it, hopefully you can, but if you aren't good at saving and you just don't make enough and you can't keep ends meeting and also put away money, then buying them traditional method is going to be very, very difficult. And most people are lucky to do one or two in a year, like I did in my first 10 years, right? Well, now with the Burr method, we can essentially do five, even 10 on a good month, 12 or 15 deals, right? Purchases where we don't need 30 grand times 10. We just borrow all the money and buy deals and so on and so forth. So at any given time, our business has anywhere from five to 12 properties going somewhere through the Burr method, either in the buy stage, the rehab stage, the rent stage, the refinance stage. And then obviously the last R in the Burr method acronym is just to repeat, but that's the best thing about the strategy is it's very, very scalable. So when you go to a hard money lender and you borrow the money for the upfront down payment and also for the renovation costs of it, you're able to rent out the property after purchase price. And are you taking the rental income to pay back the private equity or are you taking the loan that you're refinancing with a bank to go pay back to your private equity? Yes, that's a really good question. So whenever I'm borrowing money from a lender, they will give me multiple options. They'll give me the option to pay them, let's say 12% monthly interest, or maybe I can pay them 13% interest, which is more, but it's all due in the end. Well, I'm going to take the 13% all due in the end all day over the 12% paid monthly, because if I buy it cheap enough and I can get a good appraisal on it and I can be all in at like, let's say 75%, And the bank gives me a loan at 80%. Well, the difference of 75 and 80% covers all my interest. So the goal is typically zero, meaning I want to be in the investment at refinance with zero out of pocket. We're averaging over the last 200 deals, $1,200. So what that means is at bank closing of refi, lender gets paid back for purchase, rehab, interest, escrows get prepaid if we're escrowing. Taxes and insurance, all that stuff gets transferred over and paid if needed. Closing costs, all of that, right? And we have to essentially come to closing with $1,200. So that's an average. Sometimes we'll walk with five or 10. And we did one about three months ago. We walked with 52,000. It was a commercial center. We were way, we bought it at a great deal, like 55 cents on the dollar, rehabbed it, got it appraised. The bank didn't even lend us 80% because it wasn't the nicest neighborhood, but we got a 70% loan and we were all in this thing for like 65%. And it just made sense for them to just give us the loan. They don't necessarily care so much about the purchase price after you've done some repairs and you've owned it for a few months, right? Whenever you're going into the bank or the credit union and you're asking for a refinance, It is a whole different ballpark than when you're asking them to help you purchase something because that's the bank creating new risk. Well, if the bank can just transfer risk from one bank to another or one lender to another, they look at that through a different lens. It's a less risky one. Was there ever a point in time where you purchased a property and you didn't get net zero after the refinance of it? or And then if there was any situation like that, what was the cause of that? Well, yeah. In the beginning, when we first started, we were leaving fifteen or 20000 in because we didn't know how to operate the Burr method properly. 
So for those that are listening that don't know what that is, we kind of skipped over it. BRRRR is an acronym. It's B with four R's. And it stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. It's an acronym. And all the acronym is, is a strategy that real estate investors, specifically landlords, use to acquire assets rapidly with little to no money. That's it. That's what it is, right? So in the beginning, in the very beginning, I was leaving 30 grand in a deal because that's what I had to put down, period. 20% of 150 is 30. There's no way around it, right? There's no funny math there. And then whenever we started doing the Burr method, probably about four and a half years ago, actively, like that was the goal every day when we came to the office was let's find some deals and let's buy them and rehab them and rent them and burr them, right? We were leaving 15, 20 in a deal for the first 20 that we bought, right? And then sometimes we'd sell those off because we'd have 30 or 40 grand worth of equity in them. So it's like you do two of them and leave 20 in them. And then the third one you sell and you're back to zero again, right? Now you got two assets. It's slower that way, but of course you leave money in the beginning, but you got to hire a coach to get you to the zero right away or else you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I've done it almost 200 times. So I've made a lot of mistakes. So to answer your question, yeah, 30 grand in the beginning. And then whenever we started doing it actively, 15, 20 grand in the first 15, 20 of them, the next 20 to 30, we probably left eight to 10,000 in the next 50. We were roughly at about 5,000. And then the last, I don't know, whatever the difference of that is 70 or 80, we're averaging 800 to a thousand bucks. So whenever you do the big averages, you're at $1,200. And that even includes us walking sometimes. So on the flip side of having to leave money in is, is to actually walk at closing with all the lenders paid back, purchase, rehab, closing costs, interest on the money, prepaid escrows, whatever it may be. And then actually the bank loan is more than that. So then you can walk out of there with three or five or 7,000 bucks. So that happens too. It's a little bit more rare, but the only difference between the deal that I walk out of the bank with five grand after I acquired an asset that's fully rehabbed, rented at market rate, come on, that's amazing, right? The only difference between the deal that I walk from and the one that I have to bring a little bit of money in is how well I bought it. That's the only difference. So if you're buying really good deals at 60, 70 cents on the dollar, yeah, they may need 30 or 40 or 50 grand worth of work. But how else are you going to find the deal at 50 or 60 or 67 cents on the dollar, whatever that number is, right? So that's really where it all comes from. So I think I skipped over this a little bit. When I went full-time about eight years ago, for that next three years, really even three and a half years, I was doing nothing but wholesaling. I actually didn't buy a rental for three years because I was just flipping houses and flipping paper and learning how to market. So the skills that I learned from my wholesaling and marketing endeavors have been really, really helpful whenever I've moved over into pivoted back really, because I was landlording to begin with. Then I went into just flipping paper and wholesaling and wholetailing. And then I got back in the landlord, but now I got all these skills that I made for marketing and running appointments and negotiating and using contracts and paperwork. So the only difference now is it's just what the exit is. And we had to go acquire some relationships with some hard money and private money lenders to be able to do it. Right. So it's not hard. None of this is difficult. It just takes some hustle. At this point, we have 90 units on the board and we don't have a dollar of our own money in any of them. Because again, after usually four, five, six months, you can get the cash flow from the deal to pay back to what's left in it. And as we've done more and more deals and we've got deals for 500 to 1,000 left in or zero, the ones that we had 15 or 20 in, we sold off, right? So it all equals out. And yeah, I'm going to take the portfolio to 250, 300, maybe 400 doors 
and I'm not going to use a dollar of my own money to do it. And I'm not going to have any of my own money invested in those deals, hopefully within six months to a year behind. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So one of the things I'd like to ask also is, how are you getting the deal flow and being able to purchase it? Because that's where you're making the money is when you purchase it right, which is what you said. How do you find those great deals to be able to purchase it right? Amazing question. I love it. So you make your money when you buy, you get paid when you sell. I think you said it. I love it. It's one of my favorite sayings, one of my favorite quotes. In fact, that is the subtext to my podcast, Discount Property Investor. You make your money when you buy, you get paid when you sell. So you've got to learn how to buy deals. So over the last seven years, my partner, Mike, and I have purchased about 700 properties to flip, probably nearing about a thousand transactions. But the point that I want to make is over the last seven years and 700 properties, on average, we'll find four or five of these properties on the market, on the MLS four to five out of a hundred. So that's four to 5%. So if you are just looking on the MLS for discounted properties, you're leaving 96% of the opportunity off the table. If I were you, I wouldn't start there, right? So what are we doing? That was your question. We're doing all things that we can to get on the phone and in front of property owners that we would determine to have some level of motivation. So what does that look like? Well, there's two ways to market, inbound or outbound. The outbound looks like cold calling, cold texting, door knocking, things like that. And then there's inbound where you get your phone to ring. That looks like sending out direct mail, placing bandit signs, maybe having a television or radio advertisement, maybe a billboard, right? And then of course, network marketing, right? So networking, network with our friends, our family, our acquaintances. We're making posts online saying that we buy houses and the more work, the better. And we don't keep our business a secret. A lot of people, that's their biggest mistake when they get into businesses. They don't tell anybody what they're offering. What is their product or service? Nobody knows. How can you buy a product from somebody if you don't know they can deliver it or sell it, right? So we make and post daily online videos. I'm out here buying houses. Bring them to me. Get that phone ringing. So it's all things direct to sellers. So the people that we're targeting are the people that we would presume to have motivation. So what does that look like? Well, you got death, you got divorce, you got disease, you got foreclosure, you got code violations, you got job relocations, you got criminals that are going to prison. You got all types of things. People having children, they need in bigger houses. People having children move out and they need to downsize. You got the hoarders, you got the elderly, you got the sick. So like not all of these things that I mentioned, in fact, most of them are good things. A lot of people at their lowest right? So that's really a great thing about what we do is we can help a lot of people. Now we're going to make a profit in the process, but that's the definition of business, 
Literally, the definition of business, go look it up, is the act of making money. That's what we're in business for. So I'm very, very transparent when I tell people that, hey, I'll buy your house cash in seven to 14 days with one walkthrough, but I'm going to give you 60 cents in the dollar for it. I tell them straight out, right? But if they don't care, they're moving, they're dying. They don't live in town. They're behind on payments and going to lose the house. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why people would be motivated to just get rid of the problem. Their motivation isn't to get the most dollars and cents for the house. It's to get rid of the problems. That's where we come in as investors. So lots of ways to find these deals, but 96% are going to be off market. So direct to seller. So part of your strategy is to hold a portion of the properties that you're wholesaling and then you wholesale the rest of them. So that's a great way to look at it, but let me change it just a little bit. Sure. Our initiative is to market to find deals, and then we are going to keep the best and then wholesale the rest. So it's really to find things to hold and to flip ourselves. You know what I'm saying? The wholesaling is just kind of a means to an end. If we get a really good deal, but like we don't want to own that and rent it, we don't want to flip it. It's too much money. It's too far away. It's not in the best neighborhood, but we get a good deal. Well, then we're going to wholesale it. But our goal is to never go find a deal to wholesale. It's always to find one first that we can buy and own, fix and flip. It's really a means to an end to replenish the marketing budget. Look at it like that. All the wholesale deals that we do, we don't typically pocket the cash. We just put it into more marketing to find more deals that we can actually own. So what criteria do you have to hold since you're looking at so many great deals? Which one's beat out the rest. And that you said, these are the ones that I absolutely want to keep in my portfolio. Yeah. Great question. So that's where 17 to 18 years of experience comes in. (laughs) There's certain properties in certain neighborhoods that tenants aren't people that you want to work with. Right. And then there's other neighborhoods that the return on the investment just isn't there. If you have to pay 300,000 for a property that rents for $1,400, that's not a good deal. If I can get a property for 120,000 that rents for 1500 a month, that's a pretty good deal, right? So the buy box really has to do with multiple things. It has to do with the return on the investment. It has to do with the quality of the neighborhood, which basically means the quality of the potential tenants. It has to do with the amount of taxes in the neighborhood, what the school districts look like, what the crime rate looks like. Is that neighborhood appreciating or declining in, in a trend? Is there any development in the area? So there's a lot of things that we look at in terms of that buy box. But the beautiful thing is, is I've been in this city for 38 years and I know most of the, of the neighborhoods, or at least I can tell you if a zip code's thumbs up or a thumbs down, right? So we just kind of know from experience, but a, a typical looking buy box is going to look like this. It's going to be three bedrooms or more. It's going to be 850 square feet or more. It's going to be at least fifty dollars or $60,000 purchase price just because my banks don't typically like to lend under hundred grand anyway. So if I can buy it for that and put some money into it and make sure that it's going to appraise above hundred, then I'm interested. I don't like properties that have super small lots and I don't like properties that have super big lots. Right. So you just got to think like, also, I don't want a property that's really strange or weird. So if you have a bunch of brick houses on a street and then you got this one house that's not and it's pushed way back, it's weird. It's strange, right? Well, that's going to be a difficult one to sell at some point down the road. So typically I like the normal looking houses that are in decent shape. I don't mind if there's rehab needed, of course, 
but I also don't like to buy a house that needs more money and work than the purchase. So like, here's a perfect example. If I could buy a house for 90 that needs 30, right? That would put me in all at 120, but I could have it appraised for 150. That's a great deal. But I don't want to buy one for 30 that needs 90. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the same deal in the end, but it's going to take four times as many weeks to get it there. So like, why would you do your do that to yourself? Just find a one for 90 that needs 30 versus like a shell that you could make worth 150, but you got to put 90 in it, right? So the buy box makes your job easy. It prevents dealing with a lot of problems. But I think the main thing is it's just lessons that we learn as we go. Like I have done the $30,000 purchase with a 90K rehab where it was ended up being worth 150. And it's like, man, that was a lot of work. Let's just find one that needs 30 grand worth of rehab and get the same numbers, right? So how would you know that? Well, you know, by doing and making mistakes and and being like, wow, you know, that was a lot of work. So at this point, the ones that we like the best are the ones that don't need that much work. They're super close. They're super standard compared to what else is out there in the neighborhood in terms of the size of the house, the type of the house, all these things. And I like decent schools because that typically means that the neighborhoods are going to be increasing or appreciating, maybe not super fast. But one thing we've done over the years is we've tried to exit or have gotten out of different markets that the homes, we buy them for 40 and five years later, they're worth 40. It's like, that's not, it's just going to deteriorate. So if you're not going to be getting some appreciation on your holdings, you better keep an eye on them. Right. So can you share a little bit about your exit strategy and how are you finding the buyers for your houses that you're wholesaling since that's where you'll end up getting paid at the end of the day after you wholesale it? Yes, absolutely. So the ideal buyer is me just burying it, right? I hold it. I use a private or hard money lender, rehab it, get it rented, go to the bank and refinance out the lender to the long-term. And I'm the owner the whole time. That's ideal, right? But if it's not a good property for us to keep for whatever reason, and we do wholesale it, we've built a buyer's list up from local investors in our market, just from being here and doing this full-time for about eight years. But we will also use PropStream and Batch Leads and Deal Machine and different apps to pull local cash buyers. Most of them are already opted into our list here in St. Louis just because we have an authority. We've been around. We've done 750 plus wholesales. People know who we are. But if it's outside of the city or it's a unique property, we'll just go pull a recent list of cash transactions from one of those softwares that I mentioned, or we have a brokerage here as well. So we can obviously go to the MLS and whole list of any cash transaction in the last six, eight, 10 months, three to five mile radius of that property and pull list and send them an email or cold call them or, I mean, whatever it takes. That's really the thing. Like there's no magic bullet. I just mentioned five or six different ways. Same when it comes to marketing, I maybe mentioned 20, right? Like there's no magic bullet. Sometimes the, a certain way of finding a deal or reaching a cash buyer works really well. And then two weeks later, it doesn't. So you got to constantly be trying new things and testing your marketing. And sometimes we'll get on the radio for a few months and then we'll see it just kind of stagnate out. So we'll pull the ads, give it a rest, and then we'll hit it hard again in three months. You got to try new things if you want to constantly keep your phone ringing. See, the thing a lot of people, they don't realize is every business is in the marketing business. A lot of people don't realize that. But like, again, if you don't have a product or a service that everybody knows about, how are they going to call you? How are they going to know to work with you? So before, it doesn't matter if you're a dentist, a real estate investor, or a hotel, it doesn't matter. You got a market that you're here and then you're open for business. So that's what we do as real estate investors. We send out a bunch of postcards and cold call and door knock and 
One of my favorite activities is to go drive for dollars, get out in the car, go find a decent neighborhood, find the ones, find the houses that are look like hell. Get out of the car, go knock on the door, ask them if you can help them. What's going on? You guys want to sell? I own some property in the neighborhood already. And this looks like something I would love to buy and fix it up a little bit. You guys need some cash? It's that simple. You just got to get out of the car and you got to go make that conversation happen. And so for you, you talked about looking forward and some of your goals that you're setting for this upcoming year and down the future. What is it going to take for you? If anything, are you going to change in your business to be able to reach that goal um, going forward? I have a lot of goals. I have a goal of hitting maybe 200 to 300 doors in the next few years. I'd love to get to $100 million in debt in the next maybe five to 10 years. I'd love to take my portfolio income from 20,000 a month to 100,000 a month. I mean, a bunch of these goals. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do the same thing I'm doing now. I'm going to come into the office as much as possible and market and encourage my team to help set appointments and to make offers because that's how deals get done. I mean, if you take the deal and you reverse engineer it, let's do it real quick. It's a fun exercise, right? So let's assume it's a wholesale deal, not a rental, but it's very similar, right? So you get paid. Well, how did you, you get paid? Well, you had a deal that you sold to somebody, right? And you left meat on the bone and they found value in it. So they bought it from you. Well, you had to get that under contract. How'd you do that? Well, you had to make a lot of offers to a lot of sellers for one of them to say, yeah, we'll do that deal. That's a leaving a lot of money on the table, Dave, but you are helping us out by getting this thing done quick, right? Well, in order to do that, you got to market to a lot of people to make a lot of offers. It's such a simple little strategy and exercise. It helps explain to people that don't understand so well, because we do a lot of marketing, a lot, multiple thousands of dollars a month, maybe five, six grand a month. We're either paying our team to call and door knock, or we're paying for marketing to be sent to people. Could be online, could be in the mail, could be on a radio station, whatever, for them to call us. Well, when all those calls come in, we're fielding them and we're seeing, hey, who's motivated here? Who can we really help the most? And we're transparent. We tell them we're investors and we're making a profit. Like we're not hiding that. We don't have to buy your property, but we would love to at 60, 70 cents on a dollar. Let's go. But you got to be motivated to let us do that. So what it comes down to though, is, is a lot of marketing and a lot of offer making. I talk to people all the time. Sometimes people will come in, they'll hire me and they'll say, I've been at this for three months and I haven't had any luck. And I'll say, I'm going to ask you one question and you're going to be able to figure out the answer and the reason why I asked it at the same time. You ready? How many offers have you made this month? That's it. It's so simple. And if their answer is six, well, good. You're going to get a deal in the next 60 months, right? But if your offer, if your answer is I'm making six offers a day, Dave, Hey, you're only two, three months out or less. You got to make a lot of offers, hundreds of offers to get a good deal accepted. And a lot of people, they just can't grasp that. So one of the things I like to teach people right at the gate, A, this is a marketing business, but B, the number of offers you make equals the number of deals you're going to do. How many deals do you want? Direct output. You want to do two deals a year? Cool. Well, let's go make a couple offers a week and we'll figure it out. You want to do two deals a week? Well, you better be making five to 10 offers a day, right? And it's that simple. So we make a lot of offers. In fact, I encourage everybody on my team to make two or three offers a day. Even if it's just a text, a written, a verbal, whatever, email, make the offer. If they don't know that you're looking to buy it, how are they going to sell it to you? You got to just get, got to get loud. Fantastic. No, thank you, David. So how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Oh man, it's allowed me to be my own boss. It's allowed me to build a great team of people that I love working with. And it's allowed me to create passive income to basically give me time freedom and financial freedom. I wouldn't call myself to be rich by any means, but I have several million dollars worth of wealth 
right? And there's a difference there. So to me, it's the ultimate way to have freedom. And I'm going to keep buying and, and selling and, and holding all along the way. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Well, if I knew what I knew, if I knew knew back then what I know now, and when I say back then in the first 10 years of my real estate investing career, I'd probably be retired right now because I was buying properties full retail, using an agent, going on the MLS, saving up 30 grand to put down 20%. And I didn't even know about the Burr method. I didn't even know about direct to seller marketing. I didn't even know that people would sell you their property for 50 or 60 cents on the dollar if you can help them by buying it and doing it quickly, right? I didn't know any of that. And that over the last seven, eight years, I haven't paid retail for a property. The only exclusion is the one I live in because I really wanted the neighborhood and I wanted the house and I didn't have a choice but to pay full retail for it. But every other rental property and investment property and wholesale and fix and flip and you name it, we bought at a 20 to 30% discount at a minimum. And so what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate? That is such a great question. I could think of three or four answers, but the one that comes to the top of the list is the people that make offers. I mean, think about it. A successful person, to me, I define that as in real estate as somebody that's doing a lot of deals. Well, how do you do a lot of deals? You got to make a lot of offers. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to do a lot of marketing to make offers. You just got to take every opportunity that you can to make an offer to somebody. So if somebody calls you and they got the wrong number, you got a house you want to sell, I'm a home buyer. You're probably going to get no 300 times out of 301, but that one time they'd be like, I do. Cool. I'm going to buy it. Like I'm going to make an offer to anybody and everybody all the time. Do you have one you want to sell me? Because I would love to make you an offer on it right now. <laughs> awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your knowledge and your experience. And I really love your story and what you've been able to do in your business and how you've been able to build it up. And so for our listeners also out there who are interested in learning more about what you're doing in this space, where's the best place that they can go? Yeah, the best place would be to head on over to wholesalinginc.com forward slash rentals. And that's wholesaling, W-H-O-L-E-S-A-L-I-N-G, Inc, I-N-C, dot com forward slash rentals. And that'll be a great place for people to learn more about me and learn more about the Burr method as well. And if they're interested in working with me, they can book a call and we can talk and figure out what their goals are. And my goal is just, just to help get them to where they want to be and provide them with cash flow from rentals and acquire them with little to no money. And ultimately, What's everybody's goal is to have financial freedom. So that's what we're going to help you work on every day. Fantastic. Thank you so much again for your time today. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com 
and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.